Hey, Rantineers and fellow film lovers, it's your host, Brendan McGee here. Just wanted to let you guys know that if you want to support us and the show, you can do so now on Patreon at patreon.com slash therealrant. And in all honesty, whatever you find in between those couch cushions helps us out greatly. All right, I'll leave you to it. Enjoy this new episode. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Real Rant, the place where we like to rant about the real stuff. My name is Brendan McGee, and sitting across from me on occasions is the bearded, bald man. Who are you, dude? Matt Herring, and as always, it's good to be here. All right, that's good, that's good. And uh, you've got we've got uh, somebody else in the room as well today. Heck yeah, we do. And sitting across from me, it, does he have a title? Do we have a thing that we do yeah, for him? Yeah, it's the spectacle. The with spectacle sp- with spectacles. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, uh, the spectacle with spectacles. Who are you, dude? I am Nick Carter Debian. Yeah. So I've got two co-hosts in the room today. Yes, yeah, son. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, very excited. I can put my hands up, kind of like real stoked. That's what I'm doing right now. Can you guys? Can they hear it? Is that what you're wondering? No, I'm asking if whether or not you can you can attest. <laughs> oh, we'll, to this. we'll verify. Okay. Yeah, it is can, happening. Can confirm. Okay, yeah. cool. Uh, so this episode's pretty special. Would you agree, guys? You didn't, Nick, you nodded, but they can't see the nod. They can hear it. They yeah. can feel it. <laughs> your beard scratching across the bottom of your your neck there. Is that a thing? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that wasn't me. <laughs> My beard's not touching anything. <laughs> Don't look, don't look at me. For once, I'm do, I'm doing such a good job of not touching my beard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is very true. You touch your beard a lot. Mm-hmm. But anyways, that's not why we're here today, to touch beards. We're here to <laughs> talk about the film, The Good Catholic. It's going to be a bit of a special one this time, mainly because of the fact that we have an interview that we're going to be doing with Paul, the director, uh, later on in the episode. That'll come at the end after our discussion about the film. Because, you know, hey, it's kind of cool to discuss the film first and then kind of get an insight into the making of the film afterwards. But to kind of preface how we got in contact and, and discussed about this film a little bit, kind of the background of where, you know, our kind of like need to talk about this film came from. It surely just came out of pure coincidence, I think. I was on Twitter, you know, tweeting away, and um, Pegasus Pictures is the name of the production company who produced this film. Such a good name. Yeah, yeah it's, it's such a good name. It's a great intro, too. Yeah, oh, definitely. In the film. Yeah, it's yeah. so good. So they followed us on Twitter at the Real Rant Pod, and I felt, okay, well, I felt, uh, why not get in touch with them about this film, The Good Catholic? It was their first kind of premiere film that they had made. And, you know, I was like, we like to uh, talk with directors and talk with creators, so why not give it a shot? So I gave a shot. Uh, Pegasus Pictures put us in contact with the director, Paul. Um, And, uh, yeah, it was kind of smooth sailing from there. We got to talk to Paul a little bit. And uh, I think it was just back in the middle of April um, or just at the end of April. And uh, we didn't talk to him for a while. And then I was like, all right, boys, we should probably get together and actually record this episode. So we sat down, watched the film, and here we are. Yeah, and it's on Netflix, so it's easy to watch. Oh, yeah, it's on Netflix. We should definitely plug that. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big deal right now. Uh, that was Nick actually sent me a text before you watched the movie this morning. And you go, hey, Brendan, where, where is it? can we find it? I said Netflix. <laughs> yeah, I thought that the director had sent you like some link or something. No, to watch no, no. It, no. But... That was another film we were we were talking about doing yeah. as well. So Yeah. All right, so let's start with the plugs. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Brendan underscore McGee. That is B-R-E-A-N-D-A-N underscore M-C-G-H-E-E. Thanks, Mom and Dad. And Matt, where can they find you? They can find me at Matt Herring Live on both Instagram and Twitter. Uh, it's live or live. They're both spelled the same. And that's Herring like the fish. Because you're a fishy guy. Nick, where can they find you? <laughs> you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Nick Carter D, N-I-C-K-C-A-R-T-E-R-D. 
Nick Carter. Every time. <laughs> <laughs> I like making fun of your guys' names. But not making fun of your names, making fun of your handles. But it's not really making fun of, it's just endearing. Anyways, can we go on? Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can follow us on Twitter at the Real Rant Pod if you are a creator or a filmmaker and you'd like to talk to us in any sort of fashion or get, get in contact with us that way. That would be, you know, do it through Twitter. Um, or if you're a fan, get in touch with us that way. And you can let us know how we're doing. Or if you have inputs on ideas for further upcoming episodes, give us a shout. We'd love to hear from you. And if you want to be a little bit more professional and you want to, and you are a creator or you're a filmmaker or just a fan in general, you can get in a hold of us through our email, which is therealrantpodcast at gmail.com. Send us something nice, mean, or in between. It's all juicy, just the same. And you can follow us on Instagram, the show, get all those behind the scenes kind of looks on what's going on at The Real Rant. Just plain and simple, all one word. Just take a look. We've got a lot of attention. I, we posted a picture of me playing D&D for the first time, and that was the fastest liked vid- like picture that we've gotten on, this, on the... It was like 107 likes in like two days. It was insane. Yeah, that wow. actually is crazy. <laughs> yeah, uh, also, I'd just like to say I was DMing that session. So. <laughs> I w- took the picture. So. Yeah, so we were all there. Yeah, it was, we were all part of it. And if you're feeling real jazzy, you can hit that subscribe button with whatever listening platform you're listening to us on currently because that would be super awesome and if you're listening to us on itunes and feeling particularly jazzy you can leave us a five-star review i will read the first 20 on the air that's a very very bold claim matt herring well i'll do it yeah okay is that a threat it's a promise okay (laughs) came out like a threat (laughs) well you can take a threatening i guess if you want i meant it as a promise okay And one last thing, if you want to, it'd be super awesome, check out our website, therealrant.com, because, you know, we own that domain, and it's a pretty cool website, so check it out. And we've got all our links when you click on our cover page there up on the top left-hand corner, and there is a big button that says, click here if you're a film lover, and that'll take you right to all the episodes on the main page. You don't have to listen to the episodes there, it's just, hey, check us out, kind of see what's going on, and maybe, maybe we've got other stuff on there as well. And for next week's film, we will be discussing the 1958 film High School Confidential, directed by Jack Arnold. It's a hilarious look at the 1950s view of drugs. So, yeah, that should be fun. And if you're a local listener of Victoria, on June 22nd at 7 p.m., we're actually doing a screening of this film at the Subculture Club. So come on down, and we'd love to see you there. All right, boys, guess what time it is? What time, Brendan? What time? Time to get a watch. Never mind. Uh... Uh, I quit. Goodbye. <laughs> I'd like that. It's one. been a great run, folks. <laughs> okay, thank okay. you. Let's do it one more time. I just couldn't resist. All right, boys. Guess what time it is? What time is it, Brendan? It's time for the film of the week. Ha ha. The film of the week. Ha ha. The film of the week. Ha ha. Give me the magic sword. Okay. okay. <laughs> that was so epic. Oh my god. Okay. Uh, we've never done that with two people at the same time. I no, think we crushed uh, it. Yeah, we yeah. did super good. Yo, yo. They bumped. They fist bumped. Uh, you couldn't see that, but it happened. So, as I said at the top of the episode, we are doing the film "The Good Catholic" and the director of that film, Matt. It's uh, Paul Schulberg. And as we discussed at the beginning of the episode, we got in contact with them through Twitter. Uh, Paul himself and Pegasus. And this show, as we kind of grow, um, I've noticed that a lot of our growth is coming through meeting and discussing with creators that are kind of looking for us just as much as we're looking for them, if that makes any sense. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. And this film I wanted to do because I felt like 
you know, as a team, we're always looking for new challenges to kind of discuss perspective and discuss kind of like where we come from and where what our stories as people are in relation to film and using film as a vehicle to do that. Um, and for me, uh, I was I was raised and baptized Catholic, but no longer a practicing Catholic, but, you know, still have some sort of association with the faith just because my family is still connected to it quite and quite a lot. And that was my ambivalence to taking on this project of doing this episode and reaching out to Paul was because of that, the title, you know, the good Catholic. And I felt like, you know what? Hey, screw it. If the opportunity is there, why not take it? And so that's what I did with us. And I I felt like, you know, this might be a good challenge to kind of like really kind of reach in a little bit more into kind of like where we come from as a team. Um, I mean, obviously, we're going to get to talk to Paul later on, and we could discuss that and kind of relate to him maybe a little bit more, because maybe he feels kind of similar in regards to maybe his faith or something like that. Um, And also, we have not really discussed faith on the show yet, which I think might be quite important to discuss. And that's, again, why we're here today. So yeah, I, I just felt like we needed to discuss that before we kind of move on and start discussing the film, because this episode despite um how you may feel with the title like i may have felt um if you are a listener a regular listener or if you're just kind of stopping by um i think you might find a lot from this episode doesn't really just come from a religious background it's it's i i would feel the discussion today might really just be about kind of like how we feel about religion and uh in more of a um i guess uh opportunistic way through life i guess if that makes any sense to you guys what what's up so what did you think the title like what did you get from the title what did you think it meant i based solely on the trailer so i read yeah. the title um yeah. and i was like hey, good, the good catholic right um so what did you think right when you read the title it was going to be about a religious uh background like a, a film about religion yeah. um but then again most films have to do with religion and finding that religion for sure yeah and that's kind of what i thought and i thought that um that when we got to the end of this film he would find his religion and Mm. in a way he did um but the film is much more complicated than that but it's a lot more complicated than that much like the discussion we'll we'll have see when i first saw the title i thought that it was going to be I thought it was going to be like an ironic title. Mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be all about a guy losing his religion. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was going to be like the good Catholic as in what would make you a good Catholic yeah. rather than, you know, actually being a very good practicer from the beginning. Yeah. You know, but once again, as we're going to get into, it's a lot more complicated than that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Matt, what did, I guess if we're kind of talking about, what did you think, I guess, first impressions of the title when I kind of approached with the project this episode? Uh, I also kind of thought it was going to be an ironic title. Mm. I thought it was going to be a lot, a lot about somebody. Uh, I was concerned it was going to be a comedy, if I'm being honest with you. Yeah. I just thought it was going to be, oh, haha, this is, uh, all jokes at the Catholic church's expense. Mm. Um, but was not the case by any means. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Not being a practicing Catholic anymore and not going to church, I will admit, though, so occasionally I'll go to church just because my mother is, you know, she's religious and I'll go with her, say, an Easter weekend or whatever like that, things like that. And, and that's more of, like, my love for my mother and things like that. Um, and in a way, I felt like I wanted to do this episode again just because I felt like, all right, well, everybody has some sort of association with faith 
and um, whether it be with a god or just your everyday life in whatever sort of faith you want to place it into, if that makes any sense, like your your faith in people, your faith in you know nature or whatever um, in the universe, things like that. Um, and I definitely found that this film was a it, it was obviously a discussion about faith in regards to a personal faith with God, but I also felt like it was a a faith in love, if that makes any sense. All right, and before we get into the discussion about the film, I'm just going to read the synopsis for you. Here we go. Daniel is a Catholic priest in a small town who is working the late shift in the confessional one Friday night when a woman named Jane comes in. Jane confesses to Daniel that she is dying. She had nowhere else to turn. She continues to come to his confessional every Friday, which becomes problematic for Daniel for two reasons. One, because he is starting to believe that she isn't dying. And two, because he's starting to fall for her. Daniel struggles to balance his relationship with Jane and his love of God. Can Daniel be both a man of God and pursue his feelings for Jane? Find out in The Good Catholic. Uh, I like to talk about the first scene of the film, uh, which is the scene where he's in the confessional and he starts off humming uh, Amazing Grace only to have Jane come in and kind of uh, have one of the strangest confessionals I imagine a uh, priest can have. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, there was a lot kind of going on without being said. Like I liked how she didn't want to turn on the light. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, A lot of the confessional scenes were really powerful to me Mm -hmm. just because we've uh, I've I've only been in a, in a confessional once. Really? Yeah. Um, but have you been in one, Nick? Um, I haven't been in a confessional. No, I've never experienced um, anything from the Catholic Church except for the research I've done myself because I'm really interested in religion and yeah. different kinds of religions and things. Yeah. And so I've done a lot of research about the Catholic Church, but I've never experienced a service myself. Mm. I've experienced an Anglic an Anglican service. Um, I've been to a Mormon service a couple of times, which was really interesting, and just lots of different types of things. Is that process mainly... I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go too far from that opening sequence here, but I kind of feel like it might be good to... No, it's all because good. All good. You're, so I'm, I'm getting that... Because we've never really discussed this as friends, but you're, are you not like... Do you have any association with religion in any sort of fa- matter? Like, is your family religious or... My grandmother is very religious. Mm-hmm. She's Anglican. Yeah. Uh, my grandfather is not. Okay. And my mom was not raised okay. uh, religious. And so it's just come from, like, I just have a fascination with it. With curiosity. With yeah. curiosity. And I think... Do you need... Is it more curiosity... Sorry, I mean to interrupt. Is it more curiosity of the people themselves practicing? Or is it the environment of the community in that curiosity? Um, I'm not sure if it's either, but possibly both. Okay. So I'm really interested in the idea that we're all hoping for something Mm -hmm. and we're all looking for a purpose. And I think religion is what does that for some people. Yeah. And I find that really, really interesting. Yeah. So like I've, I've read the Bible. Mm -hmm. I've taken the class on the, I've taken a couple of classes on the Bible as well. And, and done my own research on practices and things like that. So yeah. Yeah. I've never experienced a confessional, but I've read about it and watched it now and, when I was a kid, uh, we used to go to church, and um, I think my process of wanting to be a part of religion or be a part of the church was basically finding uh, a group to feel a part of. 
I didn't, uh, when I was a kid, I, I didn't understand the concept of what it meant to be a part of a religion. Um, I just thought that, Hey, everyone in this room is doing it. So why can't I? And then from there it was like, why does everybody else get really round wafers and then get to dip it in some juice? Mm -hmm. Like I, I didn't, I I wanted to do all the stuff that the cool kids were doing because I always thought that someone that was older than me was someone that was wiser and had more kind of outlook on the world. I think that's, I mean, uh, not to take away, I think it's very common among people uh, in religious circles is that they do it yeah. for the community. Yeah. Uh, and I don't want to take that away from anybody because I yeah. think that's very valuable. Yeah. Of course, yeah. And I think that has to do with the movie very well. Yeah. Because the reason uh, Daniel's his name, right? Daniel, the, yeah. The protagonist? Yeah. Uh, the reason he said that he became uh, a priest was because of his father. Yeah. Right? And it was something he had always wanted to do because his father wanted him to, and his mom expressed that she wanted him to as well. Yeah. And so I think that has a big thing, a big part of this movie as well. Yeah, yeah. definitely. So this opening sequence, uh, it immediately also reminded me of, uh, of being told that I might have to go to confession when I was a kid. And uh, the, the nature of that feeling of going to confession was really scary when I was told. And I think it was after my first communion, when I got to start eating the wafers and dipping it in the wine and all that stuff, I thought that was really cool when I was like seven years old or something. And I got a really shiny cross that I could wear at school and like be a part of like, you know what I mean? Like it was, it was more of like a, I didn't under, like, again, I didn't understand how religion worked. I just, I just knew it was part of a group of people that like all got together on Sundays um, and I'm not saying in any shape or form that I was not bored at church every moment that I was there, but the idea of like going and hanging out with people that could accept me for being kind of like me with kind of like an added on thing. So it was a search for a community. For yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah. And that's my, that's still the process of my kind of association with the church is just like, I really admire the element of kind of what you were saying of community and the, and the search for community. It's less about the people and the people that are there. It's more about like, I find it absolutely fascinating that complete strangers will gather in a room and all be there for each other to, with any, you know, you know what I mean? So but, uh, yeah, anyways, going on from the first scene. <laughs> uh, well, uh, like I said, I've only been in a confessional once, and it was a very different experience from most confessionals as well. Uh, but um, with this experience, or with this experience, with this scene, I thought it was interesting because we kind of know what a confessional looks like on screen. Yeah. Uh, we've seen it on in movies. We've seen it on, on TV. We just kind of know what to expect. And immediately this uh, subverted your expectations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, was very powerful, very effective. Did you find at all that the the reasoning behind his need to like continue, like I know that he his big thing is he never can see God, and I'm wondering that's why he kind of put up with Jane's kind of discussion or antics in this film so much in the confessional booth because that because I feel like any other sort of uh, priest would just be like no get out like this is not an appropriate conversation to be having you yeah know what that's I mean? that's very interesting uh my one time in a confessional was at the end of doing the camino de santiago it's a pilgrimage trail in spain i just walked like thousands of kilometers to get here and i had just seen the service and i thought oh i've never been a confessional this would be an interesting time to do so so i go and i sit down and immediately uh I'm like, hey, I've never done this before. And the priest asked, oh, are you Catholic? Mm. And I said, well, kind of. My parents 
Uh, my parents taught me a little bit, and he's like, well, this, this is really only for Catholics, mm. but we can talk if you want. And I just thought that was a very different experience. Even from what Daniel says in this film, he says to Jane at one point, uh, well, this is actually for you. Yeah. You can just assume, like, based solely on this this interaction, though, that, like, he immediately knows that this individual isn't Catholic. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's a feeling there. Either she isn't Catholic or she's been associated with religion. It was, And, and her reply was like, why did you come here? Yeah, well, uh, he calls her out for it being the first time immediately. Well, Which, she, not, that, not that that was particularly secret. <laughs> yeah, well, no. she, she also says that you were just open. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. she was walking by and you were open. And it's almost like she's looking for someone to talk to, like, but like everyone else failed her in her life. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And maybe she'll find faith outside of the the narrative that we get in this full story. But in this narrative that we're given uh, by Paul, it's just a matter of her not really understanding faith, but still the idea of someone being there for her to talk about these kinds of things is just an opportunity that she's been longing for. Yeah, I definitely. And what um jesus was going for with christianity was giving people a place where they didn't have anyone else Mm -hmm. right it was it was a place they could go for that sort of thing Mm -hmm. right like he was he went and spent time with the lepers yeah um and no one would go near them Mm -hmm. so the fact that she said that she had nowhere else to go yeah like that's that's kind of interesting yeah that's very interesting yeah i didn't think about it like that that's yeah that's good insight yeah good insight nick Thanks, guys. Um, I really like with this scene as well, it showed just how much sort of she, I wouldn't say inspired him. Yeah. But the um, the effect that she had on him. Yeah. Because right after that is when he does his uh, death sermon. Yeah. Right? Which is a pretty impressive sermon. You know, he skimmed the Bible a few times. <laughs> but also there was a really good scene of him on his morning jog and he's talking about death and he's running right onto the crosswalk and two cars are coming Mm. and while i was watching that i was like oh my god he's talking about death is he gonna get hit by a car is something gonna happen and then they stopped so i really liked how that worked with the two cars coming because they didn't slow down for a while yeah like right and uh, i think the death sermon was completely in response to uh, jane coming into the confessional yeah 100 percent yeah. yeah, and that inspired more throughout the movie, and that inspired his entire internal conflict. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I want to talk about the characters now, uh, because I feel like they are, if anything, the biggest part of this film. Um, like, you could literally have uh, a really kind of, like, topsy-turvy kind of, like, production value with this film, which it isn't, Uh and but the characters would still be somewhat the standing out essence of this film. Yeah, this is a very character driven film. Mm-hmm. Definitely, yeah. And I I think it's important to note how different all the characters are, and and like the monk, uh, I forgot the actor's name. Uh, the character's name is Ollie, and the actor's name is John C. Uh, McGinley. Yeah, he's in Scrubs and all these other he was in a lot of like films during the 90s and 80s and he's stuff. been in so much yeah yeah you know, i recognized him from scrubs yeah, yeah yeah me too he kind of represents daniel's sort of take the right road and uh but still kind of like maintain a level of religion while still having an essence of happiness and danny glover uh victor 
Victor, the kind of like the head father or priest or whatever, kind of stands as this some sort of like stoic and hard tuned sort of religious overarching essence to Daniel's life. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but like a representation of where Daniel could go if he continues on with, I guess, um, holding back what he actually wants in life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, I think they both represent the extremes in either direction. Yeah. What I think is there are three main characters in Daniel's life. Mm -hmm. There's Victor, there's Ollie, and there's Jane. Yeah. Right? And I think those three represent the three roads that Daniel could take. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so he could go down the Victor road where he dedicates everything to the church And... and becomes stoic and serious and all of that. He could go down the Ollie road where he could keep his religion but still be a little bit silly about it. Yeah. Or he could be take the Jane road. Mm. And that's sort of turning against the church, I guess. Yeah. And going into all of his uh all of his um thoughts about leaving and Yeah, yeah. although I, I would say that the film probably argues that all of those are paths to God. Definitely. Oh definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think yeah, I agree with that for sure. Yeah. So what are you guys what are your guys' thoughts of Zachary Spicer's portrayal of Daniel and I mean to me he almost seems like he is like when you immediately are introduced to him you can tell he's lost even though he hasn't said it yet. Mm-hmm. Um and I think it's just because it's that I think for him it's just that halfway point between going back to a life that he is afraid he might miss out on if he goes into religion and going straight into religion. Um and my cousin, um, this is actually a question that I asked my cousin. Um, if he ever listens to this episode, it'd be really cool. Uh, he's a he's a priest in Egypt currently right now. Um, and I asked this question of him this summer, and we kind of discussed the idea of kind of talking about those two paths and talking about which, what that felt like for him. And I, I don't think it was an f- overnight decision, <laughs> but I think... I think the pressure of making that decision is always going to be there. It's the same sort of, it's the same. I, I mean, at least I feel that way to, and if I could relate to him in source, some sort of manner being outside of the, the Catholic church and, and, and trying to decide where you, you can put it anywhere in life. You could put it like, okay, do I continue on with this relationship where I see it being great uh, with someone or do I continue on traveling the world you know what i mean like taking like what would my life look like if i went either way and i feel like being a part of being kind of like put into the life of daniel um you really get an essence of like the importance of making those decisions and also like learning that's okay maybe to just move away from it and do the thing that your gut is telling you to do because instinctually, like, we all want both things, but we're not going to be able to have both things. So you have to make that really tough choice in life. Yeah, life is all about choices. Mm-hmm. And it's and almost it's almost like religion is that one thing, though, that makes you, especially in this context, is going to... Like, if you walk away from the church, you can understand the the reason why he didn't want to do it is because his, his father, you know, wanted him to... He would love to have him as a priest. The idea of turning your back on something that you have been committed to for, I don't know, how many years... And move and doing something else. It's like restarting your whole life. It's it's like the it's your end. It's the ending of your relationship with God. Exactly. Um. And it's your and a lot of people. I from what I've talked to them about, especially my cousin, is is like people have to make that choice sometimes. 
and and it feels almost like you're turning your back on God and it almost like you're betraying that person and it and it really kind of it, it is like a divorce <laughs> in a way um, because you are married to the church if you were in the life of Daniel or if you're in the life of um Victor, the character of Victor as well. So. Yeah, I, I definitely see what you're saying there. I would, however, again, argue that the film would say that that's not the end of your relationship with God. Yeah, I, no, I, that's no, where I, the film ended up, for sure. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that as well. I'm just, you know. No, no, this I, was the totally. initial conflict, yeah, this internal was, conflict. This was the Daniel. internal conflict that first brought him down the road to where he realized that this is what he wanted, even though he still has like i said with the whole overarching story there is just the narrative that we're given um we know that based solely on the fact that like he still you know does the father son holy spirit but in the process takes off his collar um that you know he hasn't thrown it away dramatically he's just taken it off to symbolize that this is me walking away from this aspect of what i thought i wanted my life to be Mm -hmm. do you know what i mean so um, I think this film also brings up a lot of very good questions about life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it talks about death a lot with mm-hmm. Jane's character. Yeah. But I what think... What did you guys... Okay, hold on, wait. That yep. question, that, that idea of death yep. with Jane's character, what did you guys think about that? About her lying about dying? Be, yeah. Was she lying? Like a... She was lying. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She admitted to lying. She did. Yeah, I got that. But like... Was she, like, suicidal, or was she just acting? Because I almost got no, this, like... I don't uh, think suicidal at all. No, I think she was just... At, um, I just think that she was operating under the assumption that we all die, and yeah. that death makes the moments we have in this life all the more precious. And she was feeling like those precious moments weren't there anymore. Yeah, and it was kind of her way of, you know, if we find out that someone's going to die, then we want to see them more. Yeah. Right. We want to spend more time with them because we won't have that time. Yeah. So it almost seems like that's her way of, of hanging out with people and bonding with people. Yeah. Yeah. But the 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 coffin as her uh, her bed frame, that was just that's dark. <laughs> Very dark. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. a dark joke. <laughs> yeah. Nick, did you want to say anything more about Jane? Or... I was just going to say that. Even though this movie talks about death a lot, I think the overall theme is talking about life mm-hmm. and what it is to live and what it is to be happy as well. Yeah. But going back to your your point about jokes, um, kind of to segue into that aspect, uh, that was something that I didn't feel was going to be very prominent in this film, despite the trailer when I watched it. I thought, okay, well, obviously they're trying to market it to all types of people. The trailer definitely made it seem like it was going to be a comedy. Yeah, I, I didn't feel like this film... I felt like this film was going to be a lot funnier than I originally anticipated, but it, it wasn't. And I I liked that a lot more. And I liked the fact that I watched the trailer and then didn't watch the film until a little bit afterwards, because then I forgot most of the jokes. And I feel like most of the jokes come in the in the framing of the shots as well. Um, like the opening sequence of the film, well, he's running and he comes back. Uh, well, Daniel goes for a run and then he comes back and he sits at the table. And they're all doing their respective morning routines. Um, as Victor likes to point out, morning a routine is what keeps you on the path closer to God. Um, yeah, my favorite joke was also based on framing, and that's with with uh, Ollie's he, preaching to the pizza delivery guy. Yeah, yeah. So good. It was yeah. so good. I, I was just... <laughs> 
uh, I was trying to be quiet in that scene. I just like let out a big laugh and had to like look around. So. <laughs> well, this well, the scene I'm kind of specifically talking about is the open. You you immediately understand the dynamics of these three individuals when uh, you look at you know the aged kind of like priest, the young one who's kind of ambitious but also yet still kind of finding a path. And the other one that's the complete opposite. Again, we're talking about the three different or the two different paths or whatever like that uh, outside of the relationship with Jane because yeah. they haven't met yet. But the part where F- Father Ollie takes the banana. Oh, that was great. <laughs> I was so like, good. I was just like, wait a second. <laughs> um, and the fact that he reads like he obviously was the, 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 the character that was the lighthearted aspect of showing how you can be associated with the religion and not be kind of like dark and dour about, you know, always feeling like you've sinned to some degree. Like you can live happily and be associated with a church to the point where you are just in the church. You are a priest. You know what I mean? Um, and I really like that about this character because I have met, like I had mentioned earlier, I have met priests like Ollie before. Uh, or is he, is he a monk or is he a priest? He mar- he wears he monk. Dr- he garb. dresses like a monk, but I got the impression that he was still a priest. Mm. Yeah, I think so. Okay, so hopefully we haven't offended anybody, like with having to like figure that one out. But uh, nonetheless, Should be fine. Yeah, he was dr- he, yeah, he was dressed like a friar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but to kind of go on from there, I, I like I like the idea that I've seen other priests kind of act like you know Ollie, and um, and that makes me happy because. I know that like there isn't this essence of kind of like you are wrong for doing such a thing. You know, it's just like, it's like the difference between uh, two parents. Like if you had two parental figures and one of them is saying like, you know, you can't do this all the time. And if you make a mistake, that person, that, that parent gets upset with you more than the other parent. So that way you always go to say, you know, Ollie, I guess in this essence, that sort of parent and and for daniel it's almost like he's going to he's going to go see ollie to kind of find a way something else other than god and we get that right in the beginning of the film when he's kind of sitting down at the couch watching the basketball game with ollie um, oh that was so good yeah yes. get a three pointer ball basket. yeah <laughs> yeah and sports yeah uh, exactly sports. Uh, that scene also has a moment that gets repeated later that i really liked mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and that's when uh ollie's asking him uh because he's going to ollie for something outside of god and that's when he asks ollie uh or sorry when ollie asks him oh what's your passion yeah and he says god and then yeah ollie, and then ollie says kind of makes fun of him well he says god what yeah and then of course yeah it makes fun of him afterwards yeah um, yeah but then that later gets um the phrase god what gets repeated again uh when they're doing the reverse confessional yeah when jane is doing uh his confession he's like i've never seen it and she says what and he says god and yeah. she says god what i just thought that was very a very good use of uh, repetition there no that reverse confession was really interesting because it really kind of set off the whole relationship between them when they were saying like yeah we're just gonna be friends Mm-hmm. and uh we all know where that kind of is gonna go do you know what i mean yeah well um, i mean that was you could see you could see it on jane's face when she was giving him quote-unquote penance yeah and you could see her doing the calculation of can i just ask him out here can i make him go on a date with me yeah, yeah. Uh, i definitely was just watching that the whole time honestly thinking it was pretty cute yeah it was a really it, yeah i think this is a really cute like meet cute 
if you look that if you look Definitely. at this in the view of like a rom-com yeah because mm-hmm. it it's not not a rom-com yeah. i don't know what genre this is considered no i think jane was right she at one point says uh you know under different circumstances we'd totally be dating yeah and i was like i was like yeah what we're doing is dating oh, yeah a hundred percent yeah and he tries to like say that they're not dating mm-hmm. i love how forward she is as a as a female character she's very like manic pixie dream girl-esque she is a bit yeah um, not in a bad way not in all. a bad way yeah no but the the idea that like in these sorts of films if we are considering it to be sort of a romantic comedy-esque sort of film women are still not the most forward in those films it's usually the kind of the guy that's being more forward in this sort of area but their roles i guess if you're going to go from a more hollywood perspective are completely flipped like it's almost like you know he's the kind of apprehensive one and you know he's he's like no i can't do this you know what i mean mm-hmm. and where she's just like pretty much just she's not i'm not i'm not even going to say she's using any sort of sexuality at all she's using the essence of 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 being a human being being attracted to somebody else do you know what i mean it's like there is no like she's very aware of the fact that you know he has his respective beliefs and ideology but she can't help herself as she says from seeing how cute he is and how handsome he is and how attractive he is he's a good looking guy he is a good looking guy and that is to the point where it's very kind of frightening a little it's bit. distracting, yeah. <laughs> like, like you're just kind of like, his hair is too good to be on screen. <laughs> like Matt said off podcast, yeah, a little, little Ken doll. Yeah, yeah. No, he's... No, it, was, it was Brendan who said it, but I definitely <laughs> agreed. Oh, like Matt agreed to <laughs> off podcast yeah, that yeah. Brendan said. Well, yeah, no, it's true, though. Like, yeah. he's, he's a very attractive guy, and I, I can't help but feel that when they were casting this film that... He was a very intentional cast. Like I almost thought that too. That 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 scene where they're seeing, singing the they're they're using the mic to to do a sound check of the acoustics in the in the room with the new microphone. Oh yeah, where they're saying KAA or a song. I can't remember. I don't know what that means. I can't remember what that all yeah. means. Um, me and my brother were trying to look it up last night when we were um trying to figure it out but it's, it's hard it's to hard spell sounds yeah hard, hard sounds to just google <laughs> yeah so um but from that introduction to his character walking in the room um saying that uh or, or singing those vocals i almost thought like you know i looked at his acting credits he's only been in like uh, zachary's only been in like four 14, things 14, 14 things, things. Yeah. um and the good catholics really his only known for work and then i was like okay well maybe he's like i didn't even put the research into this but i thought maybe based solely on an assumption that he kind of like sang really well that you know this guy's got some pipes maybe he was an actor before you know maybe he was a thespian or something you know what i mean so like he did theater you mean yeah like he did yeah. theater oh, before he actually i mean most actors do theater before they become you know f- yeah. film actors or they you know um if you want to you know generally make money more consistently <laughs> but yeah no that I, I that was just kind of a thought i had and i was wondering what you guys thought on that or just the casting of him as a character in general. I think all of the casting for this movie was really well done. Yeah. Um, I think adultish Gambino did a really... <laughs> thanks. Uh, I think he did a great job as the sort of stuck-up priest. He mm. always puts on a good performance, but... Danny Glover, yeah. Danny Glover, yeah. I think he did a phenomenal, phenomenal job as this character. He'd and... be great on this podcast. I love his voice. I've like Ever since I was a kid, watching him in Lethal Weapon, just being like very husky, but also like very like heartwarming. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and that's... Well, that's the thing. 
his yeah. character as he was called quite mm-hmm. a few times was a complete dick yeah right but at the same time i loved him yeah right like he was so good and he seemed like underneath it all he was a really nice guy yeah he yeah. just believed that things needed to be done a certain way he was traditional do you think though that that was a matter like i felt like in some aspects like taking into account that scene where uh father ollie is doing the choir thing and mm-hmm. daniel father daniel and father victor were sitting in the uh in the bleachers i don't know what i can't remember the, 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 po- pews. the pews the pews yeah the pews um they're sitting in the pews and um and Victor is just kind of like pointing out kind of how ridiculous Father Ollie is and stuff like that. And I, I don't know if you guys are going to agree with this, but I get the sense that Father Victor, to some degree, wanted to be thinking like Daniel. Like he, he wanted to find that escape from maybe being too traditional and being so closely associated with God and he never was able to. And there's an element of jealousy, maybe not in the sense that Daniel... Maybe he doesn't want to be be Daniel, but he wants to find a level of like fun in it all, despite his kind of hard strung association with him trying to be close to his God. And I wonder if you guys thought that maybe he was just really trying to kind of like hide his own his own feelings and and get frustrated and have other people look at how other people are acting to get other people to agree with his internal psyche. Yeah, I thought something similar, although my takes a little different. Mm. Uh, I don't think he wanted to be more like Ollie. I do think that he wished people responded more to what to the type of pastor he was as opposed to the type of pastor Ollie was. Okay. And I think that's really brought out in that uh like when he's telling Daniel not to do a pause for laughs. Yeah. He doesn't think that people want to engage in that way. Yeah. And seeing uh seeing Ollie engage with these people being all silly and dancing with them and you know, uh, sure he's a part of the basketball team. Do do you think that he is doesn't believe that he doesn't think that people interact that way or he doesn't want people to feel like they need to he doesn't them. want to uh, he doesn't want because, i don't yeah. know about that i think it's more that that is what he was always taught exactly to be against exactly you know so i don't think it's that he doesn't want them to engage with that i think it's just more that's always what he was told not to do mm-hmm. you know what i mean uh I, the only reason or another reason why i feel the way mm-hmm. that i do is that it's it's his last sermon yeah. when he's explaining, uh, I used to think that people could only engage in my way. And since I found God in my way, this is the way people find God. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And he didn't understand. Yeah, he why didn't understand. didn't work as well. Okay. Yeah, exactly. That's true. So that's... That's uh, a good point. That's a very good point. That's a good point. But I think that the trouble that I have with that idea is the fact that we are so heavily focused on a character who is dealing with the contemplation of whether or not he should be close, how, what his, his closeness to God looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and our perspective is so heavily put into the, his shoes of Daniel that it's hard for me to kind of disassociate. And, and my, and also my, uh, perspective of putting it on to Daniel and his situation uh, in relation, kind of like trying to relate to him. I can't help but feel that the way that, father victor is talking is more in the way that someone would talk because they're uncomfortable of the changing of the ways of how it's supposed to be done and because he wants to be like that but he can't be because again it goes against his greater instincts to do so but i'm trying to figure out like if his his character 
is talking the way he is and he is the way he is so dedicated to his work because he feels like if he's not then what else does he have do you know what i mean because in the beginning of the film we understand right off the bat that ollie has sports and and what does victor have do you know what I mean? And 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 based solely on how Victor kind of interacts with the rest of the people in the film, it's almost like he's trying to convince everyone else. Real talk, he's really trying to convince himself. See, I I disagree just because we do hear Victor say that I mean in in his last sermon that yeah. he feels that he does see God yeah. in in interacting with the world the way he does. Yeah, and he's trying to get other people to interact in the same way he is. Okay, uh, because he thinks that's he thought that was the only way to get them to see God. Mm. Yeah, and there was that whole uh, at the dinner table the talk about passion. Yes, absolutely. You know, like what uh, do you have a passion? No, I have the passion. Is it the passion of the Christ or a passion of the Christ? Right. Yeah, yeah, I had a big problem with that uh, with that scene as an English major, but that's not what this. Yeah, is no, about, I agree. So. I agree. Um, uh, what? Yeah, three English majors sitting around <laughs> yeah. talking about this. Yeah. So I. Yeah. Actually, I, you know what I'm going to talk about it, Brennan. You can edit this out if you don't. If you don't like it. Uh, so my issue was, yes, it is the passion of the Christ, but that's not talking about that's your only passion. That is actually insinuating there are multiple passions, and this particular passion is the passion of Christ. Okay. I think that's the point, though. <laughs> well, no, but but Victor uses it to make the opposite point. He says that it's the passion of Christ, so that's the only passion that can exist. But um, but in saying that it's the passion of Christ, that implies there are multiple passions. I see what you're saying. Great, thank you. I think, I think that I still feel like we're not all totally on the same page, which is fine. Fair enough. Let's edit, let's edit that bit out. I just, gr- <laughs> I, I just wanted, I was just kind of like, get to the, I was trying to figure out to the point where like, okay, is it like, is what's driving Victor, his, is, is it jealousy over what he sees around him? I think that's the best way I can put it in the simplest way I can put it. I think the focus on the passion versus a passion is more that like, it is the passion, meaning it's the only one that you should care about. So it really is the only one. It's like, it's like in all of those bad movies when a guy's like, "Oh, I got, I'm the man," mm-hmm. right? Like you shouldn't give a shit about anyone else, yeah. any of these other men, because I am the man, not a man. I am the man. Okay, I I hear what you're saying. I hear it loud and clear, Nick. You are the man. <laughs> <laughs> I am the man. <laughs> um. But I yeah, love lamp. Can, can I can I be the dude? Yeah, that's <laughs> totally fine, man. Can I be the big Lebowski? <laughs> yeah. Um the dude the dude abides. Um Is there any more that you want to say on that? Because I feel actually, like Actually, yes. You okay. uh there was a huge thing that you said about jealousy that I want to yeah. talk on. Um so about uh Victor's potential jealousy. Yeah. Um I think the verdict's kind of out about whether or not he's just jealous or passionate. Um but um certainly Ollie believes that he's jealous. Because Ollie says so in the opening scene in the one that they're testing the mic. Yeah. When uh, Victor says that Ollie was off key, uh, Ollie says, oh, you're just jealous. Yeah. Which immediately I have in my, I have in my notes. Um, I was wondering if that would play into the rest of the movie. Yeah. And I forgot about it until you just brought it up now. I feel like it does, man. I feel like there's su- it's such a... I mean, the only reason why I bring it up is because of the fact that we have such a great representation of two different ways that a life could be led if you're associated with... So closely associated with and dedicated to your religion of with God. And I think that like the relationship that 
um, that Victor has is so closely in, in, in association with Daniel is a lot like one generation in the next. Where it's like today we see such a differing ideals in regards to political opinions uh, and pol- or political ideologies and political associations of causes and, and just ideas in general. Um, and, and the vast majority of those differences come in the age of people and mm-hmm. generations. And that's the main reason why I bring it up is because I've totally encountered and been a part of conversations where the frustration of the individual trying to preach their their ideology of an older you know generation is coming sh- i feel like surely uh, so solely out of jealousy it is fueled by a level of jealousy of them trying to convince themselves that their way is better even though they see that everyone else is functioning in the same sort of fashion just at a little higher level of spectacle i guess you could say in relation to this film because that's kind of what Ollie represents, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would argue that Victor probably is jealous of Ollie in a couple of ways. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Again, don't know if I would say he's uh, jealous of Daniel. Yeah, I, I don't know. I I, I, I would yeah. be on the fence about Daniel. Okay. I'm not going to go either way on that one. Okay. Yeah, I think it's more that he's just trying to recruit Daniel to be like him. Yes, definitely. Not because he doesn't want to feel alone. Yeah. Well, sure. Uh, I mean, I, maybe. Maybe that, that's probably. Uh, yeah. I I would argue that's part of it. I would say the other part of it is that he does want daniel to see god and he feels that the way to do so is the way that he's doing it not Mm -hmm. the way that daniel's doing it but he is stuck in tradition for sure and you see that so much a lot of people who are trained in the traditional way refuse to see things as evolving yeah you know a big thing like that is in education as well yeah i know that there's a big thing that happened at uvic apparently where there was a younger professor who wanted to teach comic books yeah at uvic and a lot of people in the department tried to shut him down i heard about that and i've since been to the uvic bookstore and seen that they are selling graphic novels so yes. i can only assume that he won out and that they are teaching the course for him yeah but they're not called graphic novels they're definitely called comic books sure refuse... comic book i know you refuse to call them graphic novels it's just in a scholarly setting we're going to call them graphic <laughs> novels is that okay with you perfectly That's good let's also fun fact about why they call it a graphic novel is because they had to do it to be able to publish in the 19 19- 60s and to do so they actually had to put uh, x amount of words at the beginning of the book and that's where the previously in this story came from it in comic mm-hmm. books is because they had to to be able to be called literature um but going back to the evolution of things i think definitely danny glover is stuck in tradition and is struggling with the idea that the way to practice religion is going to be evolving and i think ollie is showing how it has evolved and he's trying danny glover is trying victor sorry is trying to reject that mm. yeah I, I think that's right on the money actually so the, in that first interaction uh with jane and daniel in this film jane said i think it's the furnace interactions one of the interactions that they have in their discussion their discussions that they have um jane is talking about death again and uh she says So when faced with all the things left to contemplate, death feels like one of the last remaining ideas to remind us of, and then Daniel says life. What are your Mm -hmm. guys' thoughts on that line? Because I felt like that was (laughs) pretty intense. I loved that quote. Yeah, it was a great quote. Yeah. I think it sort of brings up what I was talking about earlier about this movie talking about life through death. Yeah. Right? And it's the time death reminds us of what it is to be alive and what we need to do in our life because this time is so short. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think that scene also brings up is Jane was thinking about it with her own death and how that made her think about what she wants in life. And I think for Daniel, he was thinking about the death of his father. Yeah. Uh, and that's why that's why he was on the same page, but for totally different reasons from Jane. Yeah. Yeah. And through that death, he was he was focusing so much on death that he was forgetting to live. Yes, exactly. Mm. All right. Well, I think right now is a perfect time to roll over to our Q&A with Paul. So here we go. Hello, film lovers and rantineers. Hope you all doing well today. We have a very awesome interview today with Paul Schulberg, and uh, I've got my co-host here, Nick, today to do the interview or not interview. I want to call it. I don't want to call it an interview. I want to call it's it more a of a conversation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I want to call it a conversation. <laughs> Let's be safe. Uh, but Paul, say hello to everybody listening. I guess. Hi, everybody <laughs> listening. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm still working on that. I'm still really working on <laughs> no, trying to figure real, out. How... That was real slick. <laughs> yeah. All right. That that's good. I'll I'll take that. I'll take the compliment. So Paul is the director uh, and writer of the film The Good Catholic, um, a film that we had the privilege to uh, get to watch, and it is on Netflix. So please watch it. It's a great film, and uh, it's it's uh, it's on your guys's neck of the woods too. It's in it's in the United States as well, right? Yeah, it's set in Indiana, where uh, the, the production company is based in. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was all shot there. Yeah, I don't know. Let's just start off with uh, the first, I guess, question that we had that we kind of went over. Um, does that sound good to you, Paul? Sure, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, so the first question, we sort of just want to ask you about the title. Because we all, when we were watching this film, we all thought it was a great title. Mm. We just sort of want to hear your inspiration or your meaning behind it. Sure. Um you know, when you're looking for a title for a film, sometimes you, you finish a script without a title and you, it just takes forever to really land on something that, that works. Um, on this one, I knew like very early on in writing the script, this was the title I wanted. I thought it was kind of a, you, sometimes you stumble, you, you're lucky enough to stumble into a title as a writer that works both literally and ironically. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas this film quite literally is you're, you're dealing with this, I, like idealistic priest that really is striving to be the perfect Catholic boy. And at the same time, the struggles he's dealing with would, would put him at direct odds with what a lot of people would consider a good Catholic to be. Um, yeah. And so I love that it, it works. It works on a very literal or ironic level at the same time. And that's for a title. That's, that's kind of a, a sweet spot. You, you could, you could accidentally fall into It's hard to like just manufacture something like that, but. It just felt like the right the right way to go. Yeah, so it's kind of like this, I guess. Confliction is that is kind of where you were going for, I guess. Yeah, because because it's it is it, it's what he's trying to be. It, it's mm. what he it's how he's viewed when we mm. when we start the film, and then the the film itself questions what what is actually being a good Catholic, and so it, it kind of flips the expectation. You know, with a title like that, you could see this being like a faith based film with a really stilted message and it is which we found out we we did attract some people who thought that that's what it was and we're not not happy Mm. with where it went yeah um but uh i i like the idea of kind of turning that concept on its head but also it's not a joke i mean it it really is i feel like the film is dealing with what this character and what i i think people might reconsider what what actually makes somebody a good catholic yeah yeah, it's something that 
I think that we all kind of like talked about. I mean, I grew up, uh, I was baptized Catholic. I have that history with the church. I'm no longer a practicing Catholic. Same but here. These, yeah. these, these yeah. questions, these questions are things that I think that we all come about when we try to find, I don't know, answers or like an affiliation to a faith. And I could really connect with that because, but I also, I also like to have no answer sometimes. Right. And I think that's why I moved away from that religious background uh, as like a kid. And uh, it was upsetting for some people. And, you know, I don't know, and other people could understand it. But at the same time, I think the one thing that I really connected with with this film was the fact that it was the discussion about what it is to be, I guess, affiliated with the faith of Catholicism or, you know, Christianity. I'm not, like, again, like, I'm not totally, I'm not going to pretend like I know all the terms. Sure, sure. If there's a differentiation between the two. But I think that conversation, I think, really came across um, when we were watching the film, at least for me. But Yeah, definitely. And I think it does bring up a lot of very good questions on what it is to be part of a faith and to believe in spirituality and religion. And it, it does show a nice, a very nice separation between like the church, the practice and the spirituality and the feeling behind it. Right. So I really appreciated that because yeah. I feel like a lot of films these days, uh, when there is a Catholic involved, it can be very negative. It's, it's usually, I mean, one of the things I was interested in dealing with, cause my father, um, he was a, catholic priest and yeah that's right yeah and my mom was a nun they met in the church fell in love left together but they both remained catholic i mean my father was catholic until the day he died and i mm. i stopped being catholic i think at 13 basically the minute i was able to stop doing anything on my own that's one of the first things, like that was i stopped yep. doing it but to see through my parents eyes who are very progressive thoughtful really very intelligent well-educated people to see what faith does for them i couldn't dismiss it as a joke and I, I, I felt in media, um, when you see priests in general portrayed, again, they're either villains or, yeah. or they're like sage, like jokes or just one dimensional wise men. And yeah. I, I know priests. I grew up priests were eating dinner at our house my whole life. And I, I knew how, how uh, nuanced they were just like, you know, people, um, yep. they, they would be petty. They would be hilarious. They could be bitter. They could be joyous, whatever, just all the things that people can be. And I just hadn't seen priests portrayed in a, uh, a real human way yet. So I thought that was an interesting, just a, a, a location, a situation to put characters in. It just immediately yeah. made it kind of fresh just to have priests talking about like day-to-day stuff. Yeah. I think that was like my favorite part actually yeah. the whole film was the fact that because you do you get that like I, I don't ever like to watch a movie uh, and like go in and then all of a sudden there's like it's usually like I don't know an investigation or something and then the second somebody mentions the church I'm like oh great yep some kid <laughs> this got, is gonna be one got molested or yeah, yeah. like I don't want to feel like okay this writer is just hitting a beat to get to the next part of the story right and I really appreciated the fact that you really took your time in telling a story about the individuals and what it's like to, you know, deal with your faith and, and go through your faith. And I think the spectrum of uh, having Daniel, um, Ali and Victor kind of like, like all talk about it in different ways or all come out of, come at it at different ways. 
and I guess the two characters, in my opinion, felt like they were like Ollie and Victor were kind of like completely opposite sure. in a sense. And, re- and then like Daniel is kind of trying to find his like, is it either in between or one or the other right. kind of thing? Yeah, and you said that you had priests over to your house for dinner and things. Are Victor and Ollie sort of based off of people yeah, that you they're, know? They're each yeah, they're based off of a very specific priest. Awesome. Um, <laughs> That's really cool. That's so cool. Two priests that would never live together. Mm. <laughs> That's so great. Like, they, 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 in real life, one is like ultra conservative, and the other one is you know Franciscan, laid back, bow of poverty, just a cool guy. And I thought it'd be interesting to stick them in the same house just for conflict. Um, yeah. But yeah, they're both based on very a very specific person, each of them. Okay. And then I kind of want to know, I mean, I get the feeling that there is some place where Daniel was inspired from. And I watching the film and then kind of doing a little research on you as a person and your, and your history um, and your story, I was just kind of trying to figure out how does that... Because I know this, you've dedicated this uh, this film to your father, um, and and I feel like that has a huge impact uh, on the story. And I kind of want to know, like, who is Daniel, or where did Daniel? How was he inspired? Sure, um, I I started writing this after my father died, and I was trying to deal with it, and it just sort of hit me that this is because this is a story that's been in my family for a long time, and I I felt like it was time to try and tell it. And I always thought I was writing a fictionalized version of my father, but once I step away and hearing like family members and people that know me really well that have seen the movie, there's a lot of me in there as well because this character's dealing with the, the death of his father. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. which which my you know my father was dealing with that. You know, he became a priest. His father died. You know, like his, his you know he, he was he, he dealt with his father's death as well, but it was clearly there was a mix of the stuff I was dealing with trying to find my place in the world after my dad's passing and trying to live a life to honor him while at the same time, um, both Daniel's approach to the world and the film's tonality. I really wanted to capture what it was like to just know my dad. Yeah. Um, so the film itself is, has a much gentler, sweeter tone to it than any of my other writing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny as a first film is my directorial debut have a film come out that is not it's not like indicative of all my other things but it it really does capture what it's like to to know my my dad in general yeah yeah i think i that's exactly i mean that's i mean i have i I can't speak for any other work i know that you're uh there was i was looking at the pegasus website and I saw that there was some other pieces that you've done with them. Um, We're about to one... finish a like I'm I'm in the very tail end of post production on my second feature with them. What was that called? It's by called, the way, it's called Miss White Light. Um, okay, and it's it's okay. all about uh, death. It's okay. Uh, very cool. So yeah, it's it's got a lot of the you know I love talky movies and and mm-hmm. character stuff, um, and that's all there. But it's definitely our lead uh, is much more. She she is a darker creature than Daniel for sure. Mm, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I was looking at your stuff and I can only speak for your, your good Catholic. And I think if anything, this is a great way to kind of like make a debut as like a, as a director and, and your first story is about, I mean, someone who was really close to my dad growing up um, and kind of like maybe, maybe not so much as, as close right now uh, at this 
very moment, but being really close to your parent, um, kind of younger and stuff like that. And then kind of really showing in a sense how you saw your father or what that, what that, like giving a, a, a sense of self, uh, to the people, to film lovers, uh, and moviegoers alike. Right. And I, I really, I really dug that about this film too, is because I could really tell that this film came from a place of like, you know, heart and, and you wanted to tell a story about your family and how your family kind of lived, I guess, or something like that. Like where your kind of family guests came yeah. from. I, uh, yeah. Yeah. We could definitely see the respect for your father that you had through this film. Yeah. That, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I mean, that was definitely the number one priority was always to like, I couldn't make certain jokes and certain directions in the writing. I just didn't go that way because I, I knew that this had to be specifically this. I had to stay in that lane the whole time. Yeah. I felt that a lot of your jokes too came out of the camera work. There's like the opening sequence uh, with the titles, uh, the opening credits and uh, Daniel's running and then he comes into the house and everybody has their morning routine. And then uh, Father Ollie grabs the banana when Daniel puts it down. I just I love that wide shot. And it really off the bat told me who these characters were. Yeah, um, I mean, without really saying a whole lot. John C. McGinley just he just came in so keyed into that. <laughs> so nice to. Um, and he, he improv, like he grabbed, I didn't tell him to grab the banana. It's not, the <laughs> he just did it and we're, he did it once. And I was like, Oh, okay. We're, we're doing this every time. This is great. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's I love so that. character appropriate. It's uh, yeah, it, it's yeah. Well, I mean, like it just shows that he really, you know, cared about the project yeah. to a point where he really got into the character because I, I've definitely, um, met priests that are like, you know, Ollie and, uh, and they're really great to be around. And my my cousin, um, actually one of my closest cousins, he's a priest right now in Egypt. And oh, wow. every time I see him, uh, he is like, he's very much, we have this conversation is like, I'm always looking for, like, I live on the basis of a why. And he kind of like lives with that, but also has faith attached to it. Um, so like, why does this happen? And And he kind of comes at it from the ideological perspective with faith. Um, whereas I'm like, totally okay with, you know, have not having an answer, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, sure. And the thing that you talked about with Ollie is just like something that I could see me and my cousin doing, like being goofs like that. I don't know. So it was really cool. <laughs> Definitely. And to go back to what you were saying about using the camera for the comedy, both Matt and I loved the scene of the pizza. <laughs> yes. Uh, when he's great. giving this, this deep, great sermon <laughs> and then the camera goes to a wider shot and there's the pizza guy standing there just yeah. waiting to get his money we yeah. loved that yeah i think that was perfect and another time where we really it felt like it fit father ollie's character definitely that was his first that was his first the scene shooting too like that no was, way oh, really yeah, he, he, he that he just right out of the gate that's the scene he did yeah um so that was pretty cool to, to yeah. get that yeah so what was the process for casting like then like did you have actors in mind or yeah we had actors in mind but with with our budget and the fact that no one knows who we are and the fact that we're yeah. located in indiana you know it, it's it's very tough to to get to people and fortunately the lead actor who's also one of the producers uh zach who played daniel yeah. he had been cast in an episode of louie and the yep. casting director for Louie, he he got her the script and she agreed to 
to cast the film for us. And she's very reputable. Um, her name is Gail Keller, and she she did like the Big Sick, and she love that film. Yeah, I love that. Great, film. and she she just does tons of things, like really well known things. She's well above our, like our, you know, she she boosted our credibility pretty quickly. And once she got on board, we were able to get to you know all, any actor that was available. It's just you, you're immediately cut off with money, and mm. like when, when you're casting, the first thing that an actor, you know, their actors are going to factor in who else is in the cast, which at the time was Zach, who no one knew. Yeah. Who's directing? Which was me, who no one knew. Yeah. And is there money? How much money, which we had none of. So yeah. we, you know, we had to find actors that were really looking to a just to get them to read a script, knowing that yeah. all these things are working against us. Um, actors that were really looking to dig into something. So it was it was a bit of a, a journey, but you know, and and it's also it, it was a long process for this one. Where when you're casting a film of this size, you often will lose your entire cast. Uh, and like it's at some point in time your your whole cast will turn over like we had mm. um ren who plays jane she was mm. a she was initially on board before we ever went to a casting director because she had been in like a short film of mine at some point in time i didn't direct it but i saw her in a short film and she was yeah. great and um she loved the script and she was on board but then she got cast in a tv show the robert kirkman uh, uh outcasts so she got cast in that, and so we that was right when we were casting, and she was going to be shooting for three or four months, so we lost her, and we had to go get other people and, and get on board, and then the stuff happens where an actor that you get that's kind of unknown suddenly gets nominated for an Emmy, and, and then they're like, I'm going to go make real money, see you guys. Um, yeah. So like just all this weird... Like it is a normal part of the process where it's... Yeah, for sure. You're, you're trying to get actors to join your project, and they're trying... you know. Everybody wants to, you know, leverage it in their favor, but we just never, we, we were always on the other end of leverage <laughs> with, with any, any of these agencies. So we kind of went through this whole thing, but luckily it, it, it took long enough that when we finally got Danny Glover on board, um, which by the way, once you get Danny Glover on board, it's very easy to cast the rest of your film. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, we, we got him on board and, once we had him on board, we looked at Ren's schedule and was like, oh, this has kind of come full circle. She's available again. Let's get her. Um, and then John C. McGinley was just, I didn't know he was available at all. And when that name came back to me, I was just like, are you serious? Like, let's, yeah. get, let's get him. Jeez. Yeah. I, I love John C. McGinley. Yeah. He's just, he's like everything I remember from when I was a kid. So it was a really, like, really, like, I hadn't seen him for a while in a whole lot. And then, but I remember him as a kid being like, just an absolute goof. He's been in a lot of a yeah. lot of things for sure. He's been around for a long time. Yeah, so. yeah. We had a question uh, about Zachary. Where did you find him? Where did he come from? Well, when I was in grad school, um, from '04 to '07, I, I, Indi- yeah. Indiana University, I was getting my MFA in playwriting. He was an undergrad, and mm. he was an actor. So mm. he uh, he wasn't getting cast in any of their plays, which is hilarious. Um, um he there was a guest director that came in that wasn't faculty which is and they cast him right away in a lead because that's what happens in like college theater programs the directors pick their like favorites and they form this weird little bubble 
Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, a guest director comes in with none of those ties and he's casting this guy. Um, and I saw him in, in a play and was just like, finally, like this is, <laughs> this is like an actor I really like. Um, yeah. So I had him uh, do a reading of mine and it just, it worked out really well. And then he got cast in a, a bunch of independent plays of mine. And from that point on, we just have always been in close contact. I always send him scripts yeah. and he's always trying to get stuff made of mine and um so yeah we've known each other for forever really i mean it's been a long yeah time. we kind of we kind of actually i mean at least i kind of assumed that that's probably where it came from and he does come off and like you could tell like he had worked in theater before not yeah. not in a bad way not a bad sure. way or anything like that like not that he's over theatrical or anything like that it was just more it was just more like i immediately when i saw the trailer for the film um when I got in contact with Pegasus, I like went, Oh, who's this guy? I looked him up on IMDb, not a much, not a whole lot there. So then I Wikipedia him and, and I just kept on researching and I was like, maybe he's worked in theater for like a really long time. And then there's this film. Yeah. And you can definitely tell when someone is classically trained in theater. Well, that's the thing. Uh, I, I've learned like if I write, I'm very dialogue heavy as a writer and I, I really, mostly want to work with actors with the theater background just because they handle the language really well. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, McGinley also has, has theater background and um, certainly Ren's been, you know, doing theater a lot too. So it, it all, it, when you hand theater actors, big chunks of text, they know what to do with it. Yeah. Um, so it's yeah. really nice. Yeah. She was in Boardwalk Empire and that was like one of my favorite shows. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So you mentioned that uh, you filmed exclusively in Indianapolis, right? Yeah. Um, no, in, in Bloomington, Indiana, which is about an oh, hour out of Indianapolis. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. So, so for each of the shots and the settings for each of the scenes, were they very, were they exactly what you wanted when you were filming um, well, or was it sort of. As my first film, I was, I mean, like I, I had so much I was concerned about with just telling a story, getting the performances, getting the dramatic beats there that I was like, I, I knew that picking the church was important. I went and looked at a lot of churches, oh, yeah. a great church that, that felt full and amazing, but wasn't that big. Yeah. Um, which mm-hmm. is like, cause there were some really nice churches, but they were huge and it made no sense to have a parish with three guys that would have like a, you know, 500 seater. So I found, I found the right church. And then from, from that point, it was, you know, we, you learn as a filmmaker, I didn't realize um, in just choosing sets, how, how, like what you're actually looking for. So we got lucky in a number of places, like the coffee shop that we used, they were awesome. They were like great hosts and they, they let us, they kind of shut down for two nights, uh, which was amazing. But like there's certain locations, if I could do it over again, the rectory looks so much like what I wanted the rectory to look like in real life. But we went in and so I was like, this is perfect. And then we get into the space and it's, it's tight. Like a, a normal size room is too, is like makes it feel super tight. So that's why you see at that dinner table scene, it's just like face, 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 which actually works really well for editing. Um, it, it let us create this pace. Um, and it created this kind of cramped feeling but it it does um, for, pre- present a ton of challenges for production that I that on this last film I did not do that again I did not put 
40 people into a very small house to shoot something. Um, so yeah, to, I didn't even know exactly what I wanted. I was um, looking for more things that felt like the real life version of it, as opposed to how is this going to look on camera, which is a important lesson for a filmmaker. Yeah. But, but fortunately we're, you know, we, there wasn't any location that we got into where I was like, Oh, this isn't going to give me what I need for the scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I definitely, I definitely admire the church. Uh, I'm a big, as much as I am not affiliated with the faith or anything right, like that. Uh, I am overly curious of a church. <laughs> My girlfriend, she's from the UK and we basically traveled all around the United Kingdom last summer and every time we went to a place or like a village or something, she would always take me to a church. And it's just the idea of being in a space that's been there for so long and represents right. so much to so many people. It's really, really cool. And I feel like I I definitely could feel that when you when you picked your church, it was very specific and or it felt like it was specific. And uh, the the way you also shot in it was really cool where that whole um, where they were competing on who could sing the yeah. you could sing. I, yeah, I can't yeah. ever pronounce it, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> And they've they've got you've got the shot where you got uh, Victor on the left, and then you've got Ollie on the right, and then Daniel comes through the middle to kind of like break everything up. It was really really cool. So oh, cool. Thank I don't you. know the space felt really interesting. So all right, well Paul, thank you so much for uh, being on our show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, it's been awesome. Yeah, um, Paul, thank you so much for coming on, and not just thank you for coming on the show, but thank you for making a movie that was so honest and realistic. Uh, it was really great to see. I appreciate yeah. it. That means a lot. Yeah. And we also look forward to your future success. And yeah, I, I mean, I think you're going to do great. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to your next project. Uh, what was it again? Just it's mention it for the listeners. Miss White Light. Miss White Light? Yep. Awesome. Well, you be looking out for that, listeners, because we definitely will be. So Definitely. All right, Paul. Thank you so much. Right, thank you. All right. Thanks, Paul. Uh, we really appreciate the time you were able to give us to talk about your film, The Good Catholic. And we hope that... Um, when people listen to this discussion, they can kind of like see the film in a different way or come at it with a different perspective and be able to kind of communicate and relate their own story with our discussion, which is kind of the process of this podcast. Um, yeah, totally. Uh, Thank you so much, Paul. Just it really means the world to all of us here to yeah. collaborate with other creators. Yeah, yeah, we really appreciate it, Paul. Thank you so much. And with that, we're going to roll into our arbitrary review of the film. Again, we'd like to preface we are not film reviewers. We are film discussers. So this kind of section of the podcast is, is more, completely arbitrary. It is. That's <laughs> arbitrary. And it's us to kind of be a little bit satirical and be like all those other podcasts out there who are actually reviewers. But, you know, I don't know. I feel like our opinions don't really count that whole lot. We're just trying to relate to people. I think my opinion counts a lot, actually. Okay. I, I take my opinion in the highest regard. Okay. <laughs> But anyways, um, let's start over, Matt, because I guess you said you were ready off podcast to do this. So why not? I'll throw it over to you. Matt, what was your arbitrary review? Uh, I give this film three Hail Marys and four Our Fathers. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, go ahead. I give it uh, two communions. Okay. Hey. Uh, oh, hey, Brendan. Yeah, what's up? Uh, what would you rate this film in an arbitrary sense? I would give this film a one round of Battleship and a communal confession booth. Does that make sense? Only if it sinks your Battleship. (laughs) Dude, it sunk my Battleship. (laughs) But anyways, um, all right, I think that's it for this week. I just wanted to say thanks again to my two co-hosts, 
uh, Matt and Nick. Always great to be here. Always a pleasure. And uh, yeah, Nick, is there one word that you'd like to say before we get out of here? Sure. And Matt? Amen. And scene. Scene.